You're listening to Making Our Way, a podcast where we have conversations about some of the toughest and best moments in life, a place where we get a chance to hear from people who are creating a way forward in spite of and sometimes because of the struggles they face. This is a place for connection, to gain strength from each other. We are each other's keepers, and we can also be each other's teachers. We are better together. I'm your host, Marisa Penrod. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Making Our Way. Today, we are going to talk about a whole lot of things with Mandy Vogler. We are going to touch on parenting and adoption, navigating a rare disease. We're going to talk about grace and faith and finding peace. Mandy is known in her town as the lady with 10 kids. She and her husband always hoped for a big family, but they had no idea what life had in store for them. Mandy is a public health nurse, and her husband is a special ed teacher, and their story is built around their six biological children navigating the heartbreak of multiple miscarriages and traveling halfway around the world two different times to two different countries to adopt four children. Mandy is driven by this profound faith and a strong belief in her purpose for life. When their son Judah was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy just a couple of years after they brought him home from China, it was that deep faith that helped her navigate the heartbreaking diagnosis and begin to move forward. But this is not an episode about having all the answers. In fact, it's really about being smack dab in the middle of the journey and trying to figure it out. Mandy gives us an intimate and honest look into their bustling life, including the low moments of struggle and questioning God, as she says, as well as the joy and the love in this family that she and her husband created. Even if you don't have 10 kids, because not many of us do, and no matter what you believe in or what your faith is or what you don't believe in or what your faith is not, there's something here in this story for all of us. Mandy's incredible strength and her sweet, gentle spirit are really a gift to us. I am in awe of her, and I think you will be too. Hi, Mandy. It's great to have you here with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I have to say that after launching this podcast, we've done a bunch of interviews and plan to do a whole bunch more. This might be the only one where I'm interviewing a guest and she's in her closet. (laughs) (laughs) I am. (laughs) So why don't you tell me why you're recording this from your closet? (laughs) (laughs) For lots of good reasons. (laughs) 10 to be exact. We have 10 children. Nine of the 10 still live at home and the other one does about half the year. And then we also have a dog breeding business and training business. And so we have lots of dogs in and out of our home all day along with the kids. So yep, the closet's about the only quiet place around. Yeah, that's a great spot. I bet you try to get to that closet as often as you can. (laughs) So you are known around town as just the lady with 10 kids. Will you share a little bit about how your family came to be, how your family was created? My husband and I met back in the high school years. We live in a small town and 
it's a long story, but we eventually started dating and started with a family that we thought would be big. When we dated, I said I wanted a big family, and he thought that meant four kids. Mm-hmm. And after four kids, God just really laid it on our hearts to adopt. So we adopted two more children from Ethiopia, a brother, sister. That was done back in 2010. A couple years later, we ended up having fraternal twins. And so that gave us six biological and two adopted. And I would say when they were about two years old, God laid it on our hearts again to adopt. And that wasn't an easy leading. We, me in particular, kind of dug our heels in a little bit and questioned God on whether he really wanted us to do that or not. But he did. And so he opened up a lot of doors and we adopted two more children from China. So that gives us 10. You exude grace and calmness every time I talk to you. And in even the way you tell this story right now, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, I have two kids, my family's complete. A third and or a fourth, you know, could feel just really monumental. What was that process or what was that feeling or how how did you feel like your heart was guided the first time you guys considered and then decided to adopt? It was something that I felt like God led me to at a really early age. I don't know if you remember back in the 80s, the song... We are the world. We are the children. It was back when Ethiopia went through their famines and there was a lot of hunger Mm -hmm. there. And I just remember being a young girl listening to that song over and over and seeing the video and knowing the purpose behind it and thinking, I would really like to adopt someday. I'd really like to make a difference. And then probably after our fourth child, there was just some things that crossed our paths that really brought it to the surface and we started exploring it more. And God did amazing, miraculous things to open that door and get us to Ethiopia to meet our two new kiddos. What was an example of a miraculous thing? Well, financially, it was a huge undertaking. We were not in a position to pay, you know, $30,000 for adoption costs is what it cost back in 2010. We just didn't have it. So... We had to get really creative with fundraising, and it was just really miraculous on how (laughs) money just kind of came in. The most miraculous thing of that, I think, is we had done several fundraisers. We had raised several thousand dollars, and again, we live in a small community. We attended a small church. We were very supported, but the funds weren't really there. And I will never forget, it was just a few weeks before we had to go to Ethiopia, that a family in our community called us up. It was actually an Amish family. And they had some questions about pertussis. And I'm a nurse and I work in public health. So they reached out to me. And after we finished that conversation at the very end of it, the lady said to me, you know, Mandy, my husband and I, we do fostering and we get a stipend for that each month. And we really just don't feel like that's necessary, but we have to take it. We would really like to give that to you guys for your adoption. And she had never met my husband. I don't even know if she had met our kids at that point. And she said, how much do you need for your adoption? And it was several thousand dollars. And she said, oh, we'll write a check for that and send it. And so I didn't know how we were going to wrap that up. And God just brought someone completely random out of our community and not even of the same faith. And they finalized that for us. I believe that the right people show up when you're just doing the right thing and taking steps and and kind of step out into something that you believe in. 
So you, you went to Ethiopia, you came back with two more beautiful children to add to your family and integrated them into your, your lives and your family. And then two more kids. Yes. So my husband, who thought I would be happy with four kids, I don't know if he hit a midlife crisis or what happened, but he decided that he wanted another baby. And I was like, oh, we have six. We went to the other side of the world for two. Like, six feels good. And so I kind of held him off for a year. It was kind of like, well, if you're serious, you'll hang on to that feeling. And he did. So (laughs) I finally said, well, if you're really serious about this, we need to try. And we had gone through multiple miscarriages. So having children biologically wasn't always the easiest thing. So we went down that path. And it was amazing because just a couple months or a few short weeks later, we discovered that I was carrying two babies in my belly. And so that was kind of God's little twisted sense of humor. <laughs> I was going to say, was, his, was it his joke? <laughs> yes, uh, I don't know. It was a very quiet ride home from that appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so. I bet it was. But but so here's what's amazing about you. You are, you're so faithful and you're so graceful. And so you've gone through all of these phases of feeling like your family is complete and growing your family and adjusting what you thought was going to be the end of having more babies in the house. And then after the twins were born, you still weren't done. It was a calling. We thought we were going to go back to Ethiopia and Ethiopia was kind of shut down, not really moving. So a co-worker had adopted through China and she encouraged us to look there. And I was like, mm, no, that's not where God was calling us. But as things weren't opening in Ethiopia, I just kept kind of going back to China and they were moving. And so we just felt like we're in this to help kids and to give kids a family and to really follow God wherever he leads. So we started down that path and I was really anxious about it. I'm not usually a super anxious person, but I was just like, God, we have eight children. Are you sure you're calling us to two more? And we actually stopped our adoption process twice because of just that feeling of anxiety. We pushed forward and I just said, Lord, I give you full permission to stop this adoption. (laughs) 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 And he just never did. And a lot more miraculous things happened and we ended up in China, but it was pretty amazing. So tell me a little bit about the trip to China and bringing the kids home and that whole experience. Yeah. Our adoption with our two kiddos from Ethiopia was, in the world of adoption, what I would say easy. It was an easy acclimation. They gained language within two months. The adjustment went really well. There's very little residual. It's a different climate in Ethiopia, and they were with their birth mom for a longer period of time, I should say, before they were placed for adoption. When we headed to China, part of my anxiety was that God just never really hid it from me that this was going to be hard. I feel like some days I have a struggle to parent eight children, and now you're asking me to do two more, and I don't think I can do that. And he said, you can't, you're right, you can't, but I can through you. So will you let me do that through you? So we did. We headed to China and we got there and we met our daughter first and then our son. They're from the same area of China, but not biological siblings like our two from Ethiopia. And everything seemed good with our daughter for the most part, just kind of what you'd expect 
going down the road of adoption again. Mm-hmm. But when we got to our son, there was a lot that we knew we were going to struggle with. Judah was three at the time, and Sarah, his younger sister from China, was two. They actually had their birthdays while we were in China with them. And Judah was nonverbal, and he looked like he had just started walking. And we knew he had some vision issues, and he had a very flat head, and every time we left the hotel room, he would cling to me and cry and whine like he was fearful to leave the hotel room. I could just go on and on. Your mom, Radar, your, it was going off. You were, you were concerned, right, and thinking there was more to this or it was going to be difficult. We didn't know if he would ever talk because he wouldn't even mimic mama or dada or baba or any of those really easy. He wouldn't even try. And you have about a 48-hour window there where you can literally change your mind with your kids. And I remember Justin and I looking at each other across the hotel and feeling both of us feeling very overwhelmed and both of us knowing what the other person was thinking, but then saying, there's no way we can leave him. There's no way in China, if you do that, the child becomes, for the most part, unadoptable because a family already rejected him. We didn't know that we would be able to live with ourselves with that. And yeah, looking down that road of a lot of unknowns and a lot of scary situations and what we potentially could face was really difficult in light of having eight kids at home waiting for us too, so. Exactly, that's what I was thinking is it's not just wasn't your first two children you were adopting from China. You had a full house waiting back for you at home. So so you did, of course, stick with it and decide to, to follow through. And you brought Judah and now his sister home. And what was that like when you got home? You know, you now have 10 kids in a house, two sets of kids from different countries, different cultures, and you're integrating into what is, you know, this amazingly beautiful melting pot of your family. But that doesn't happen without effort and some struggle. It had a lot of struggle. It was a really hard year because Judah did not become verbal quickly. He is verbal now, thankfully, by God's grace. But it was a solid six months of nonstop whining and crying. Did you have any support? Did you have help at that time? Did you have any guidance or... We have a great physician who is always really supportive, but not super familiar with all the adoption stuff. My mom and Justin's mom were supportive. I am a nurse and I work in public health and I worked about two days a week outside of the home. So my mom would come on one day and my mother-in-law would come another day and they literally could hardly make it through the day with him. Not to mention that our twins were only, let's see, about four at the time. So four-year-old twins, three-year-old Judah, who was nonverbal and very whiny. And then Sarah, who's two, who's just behaving like a lot of typical institutionalized kiddos that is just trying to acclimate to a new culture, family, life, smells, tastes, everything. So they struggled. They tried to be there, but it was huge, huge struggle. Yeah. And how were your other kids during this time? They were a little bit older, so you had a full plate and they were they were adjusting too. Mm-hmm. Yep. The next oldest were 8, 10, 12, and 14, roughly. You're thinking about the difference in ages in, in 
you're bringing back a memory for me. I So I'm the youngest of six kids. So not 10, but it's it's a big family. I grew up in a really big family. And my mom used to sometimes, you know, she'd want to say, Marisa, come down for dinner. And she would call my sister or she'd say, you know, Julie or, or Tim, one of my brothers. And she'd finally say, you know who I mean, whoever I mean, just come <laughs> in here. It's a lot to keep track of. It's a lot to, to manage that. So while you were doing that acclimating and, you know, integrating the, the kids into the family and you were peeling back some layers and started to ask some questions and try to find some answers about Judah. Yeah, the older kids were always really supportive. We had talked with them ahead of time about the adoption and they were there. Our oldest was 16 at the time and our older kids really stepped in and would give us a break. We'd have to take breaks throughout the day just to hide in the closet like I'm doing Sure. <laughs> Eat some chocolates. But yeah, as time rolled on, Judah just wasn't gaining the strength like I expected him to do being in a very active family. He wasn't any longer restricted to a crib. He was in speech therapy right away. We did a lot of specialist appointments. And basically, everyone just kind of kept saying he was probably neglected, maybe abused. There's some, some signs of that. And so we gave it time. We were like, what, a year and a half, two years into this by that point. And I just kind of scratched my head and said, why is he still here in this spot? Mm. Why hasn't he progressed? So we met with our pediatrician. And since I'm a nurse, I gave him a laundry list of things I wanted to have Judah tested for. And one of those was a sleep study. His sleep study came back very poor. And so we went in to just rule out seizure activity. No one was concerned about it. No one had any real expectations that that was going on. It was just kind of like one of those things, let's cross it off the list because the sleep study was so poor and he was so deoxygenated at night. Mm-hmm. And so we went on April 30th of 2019 and met with a neurologist. And I started to explain to him what Judah was like and some of the things I had noticed in him, which I had explained to lots of therapists and doctors and specialists in the past. But he was just the right person at the right time, I guess. And he asked if we had ever done any muscle enzyme testing on Judah. And I said no. And I asked him what would that show. And he gave me a list. And one of those was muscular dystrophy. And so as a nurse, my heart sank and I felt like all the blood drained out of my body. And I had our, I had nine of our 10 kids with us because we were planning to go to a friend's house afterwards because again, we just thought this was going to be a no big deal appointment and we would continue on our way. And our life totally changed in that moment. I'm covered in goosebumps right now because I know that journey. I know the determination to find answers. And when you realize the answer is marching towards you and you're about to get it, it's almost like you want to back off and say, wait, 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 let's not. (laughs) I think maybe I liked not knowing the answer. And it's just this battle of, I need to know so I can help my child, but you don't want to know. And it's devastating. And, And so you were at this appointment, you had all your kids except one with you. And What happened? What did you go through at that moment? Yeah, our oldest son was at home, so he wasn't with us. So the bottom nine were with us, with me, actually. My husband was at work. He's a special ed teacher, so he was teaching that day. And I went out to the van. Everyone kind of piled in because I told him, we can do this blood test. 
but I have to know the results today. I cannot wait through the weekend. I have to know them today. And he promised me that he would rate it as a stat order so that I would get results back. And he also wanted an EG done after Judah had had his blood work done. And like every good nurse, we Google it. <laughs> like I had known what muscular dystrophy looked like on the end of the spectrum when more care was needed. I had no idea what it looked like in a five-year-old little boy. So I looked it up and it was like, Judah hit every single thing on that checklist. And I just bent over the steering wheel and started sobbing. And my daughter, who at the time was in her mid to late teens, she said, Mom, maybe it's not it. What, what are you, what's going on? And I just said, Leah, this is going to be very, very, very bad if this is what he has. So I called my husband and I told him and I said, I need you to meet me ASAP. So he left work and drove two and a half, three hours straight south. In the meantime, I took my other kids to the friend's house that we were planning to go and shared that with her. She said, I'll keep the kids, go back. And so my husband and I met back at the hospital a few hours later and got his diagnosis. What was the nurse side of you and the parent side of you thinking? Yeah, you know, in that appointment, immediately you're just kind of slammed with words about wheelchairs and cardiac failure, respiratory failure, and progressive and fatal, all these words that as a mom and a nurse, you never want to hear about your kids. And I think I sobbed such gut-wrenching sobs that probably only a mom can do for their child in that appointment. The neurologist was super gracious. He was such a caring man. And at the end of the appointment, I looked up at him and I said, what do we do from here? How do we face tomorrow? What do people do in these situations? How do you move forward? I didn't even know what to do when I got home. I was supposed to work the next day. I didn't know if I should go to work or stay home and sob all day. And I will never forget his response. And his response was just a very quiet, I don't know. No one knows when it feels like your world comes crashing in around you. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand it. So you are just coming up upon, you know, two years of finding out. You're really new in this what is not a sprint, but a marathon. It's a long road. And I got to tell you, Joseph was diagnosed over 13 years ago. And so I've been walking this path for a long time. And I'm blown away by you and your handling of this. Like I think about in the world of Duchenne, like I want to be you when I grow up in the (laughs) Duchenne world and just your, your take and your approach. Where have you come from the moment of diagnosis and the devastation to today? Well, I think our whole family went into grieving for several weeks after that diagnosis, like the kind of grief that you don't want to get out of bed. And you reach out to people, and there's people that step in your circle and people that step out of your circle. And that happened. And I wrestled with God over it. I really wanted to know from God why Judah had such a horrendous past and then was faced with this future. Not that I wished it on anyone else. It just seems super, super unfair for Judah. Like, it seemed like it would have been more fair for just about any other one of our kids besides Judah. I know that sounds terrible, but it just seems like he had put in his time in such horrendous situations. And I remember God telling me 
I came home from work one day and I was sobbing and I was asking God that question and I pulled off on the side of the road and really asked him that question. And, you know, it wasn't like God, I heard him audibly, but I think it was as audible as I can get with God. And he said to me, because I'm trying to save your kids. I'm trying to save your family. And I didn't really know exactly what that meant, but I knew the motive behind it. And I trusted God enough to know that he had a bigger plan in mind and that my family, my kids were at the center of his interest. And so I had to move forward with that, knowing that there was a bigger purpose and my family was involved in that. So that's when things kind of turned and I was able to give it over to God a little bit more and our family was able to give it over to God more. And even though I'd wrestled with God through our adoption and told him, I don't, I do not, like I bargained with him. I cannot have a special needs child. With eight children, it already took us 20 minutes to get in the car. I could not have a special needs child. But somehow in my gut, I always knew that that was exactly what he was going to give us. I just didn't know what it looked like. When people say special needs child, it makes me smile. And I think that's redundant because all kids have special needs. Like there are things we don't see and that don't necessarily have a label and they don't require or get an IEP plan at school. But but there's just so many needs that we face with all of our kids when we're parenting. So you felt like you got this this answer, a little bit of an answer from from God that it was he was working through Judah. And do you feel like you have clarity on on what that what that is yet or you're just still in the trusting phase? I totally agree with you on the special needs. I feel like we say special needs because there's no other words for it. You yeah, know, it's like I just agree. what everybody recognizes and it's like I wish there was a different way of describing these kids um and the situations we're in. But that's a good question. I feel like I've seen a lot of reasons why we were gifted with Judah and a lot of positive reasons for that. And there's been a lot of hard in that, but I do see God working. I still believe that there's a lot more work that's going to be done because of Judah and through Judah and through our family. I don't feel like that story's done at all, but he's given us glimpses of reasons why he chose us and he chose Judah and he chose our family. I just have a lot of faith that he knows what he's doing. <laughs> How has Judah changed your family? So our oldest son is in nursing school and he feels quite drawn to the muscular dystrophy world of things. He's done some special projects on that. And I think just as a whole, our kids have way more of a love and nurture for just kids that don't fit into society the way the world feels like that they should. And so they're advocates for kids that they would have never been advocates for. My daughter just shared with me a situation at college that one college student was making fun of another college student that was probably on the spectrum someplace. And she really stood up for that kid. And I don't know that she would have verbalized that out loud like she did if she hadn't had Judah in her life. Yeah. Yeah. So with with 10 kids, and I know some of them are out of the house, but what is there 
Is there a typical a day in the life? What does it look like? <laughs> Organized chaos. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Our kids have always been homeschooled. So nine of the 10 are home full time still, either in college or being homeschooled still. We have a tutor that comes in a few days a week to help. I finally bit the bullet a couple years ago and figured out I couldn't do it all on my own. So that's been helpful. Justin's still teaching special ed, quote unquote. He's an autism teacher, and I am still working public health in the middle of a pandemic, giving out vaccines everywhere. So when we talk about the, you know, the evolution of when you found out to now, what do you see for his future? Where does your, do you find peace anywhere? Some days. I do. Some days it's a struggle. He's progressing slower and faster than we thought he would. So there were times that I wanted him to, before we got the diagnosis, I just wanted to be quote unquote normal. That sounds horrible, but I'm just being totally honest. I wanted him to catch up. I wanted him to be just like everyone else in our family. I just wanted that for Judah. I wanted him to be a cookie cutter kid like every other kid that's in that circle or in that arena. And then we got the diagnosis. And then God just brought us to a place where we were good with whoever Judah ended up being. And he was perfect in that spot, wherever God brought him to. And I gained a lot of peace there. And I have goals for Judah. I think Judah has goals for Judah. I want him to read someday. I don't know that he will, but that's what I hope for him because I he loves stories and he loves books and that's a way for him to be places that his body might not ever allow him to be someday. But maybe I'll just be his voice. You know, I don't know what it looks like and I am a huge planner and that's a struggle for me. That's a struggle to not know. Yeah, we don't know. So you have other things in addition to Duchenne to the progressive degenerative nature of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, there are cognitive issues that you're struggling with, with Judah that you're, you're dealing with. So you've got, you've got a full plate, but your decision-making process about if you had left Judah and not taken him home with you, he would have been unadoptable. And that was before, you know, anybody knew that he had Duchenne and that he had a really serious, devastating disease do you ever stop and think about where he'd be without you guys, without your family? I think God intentionally hid his diagnosis from us for the first couple years. Because I don't think we could have handled it. There's so many times I'm like, I wish I had known, you know, maybe we could have started this therapy or that or been to the specialist or whatever ahead of time. But we were just trying to survive our days. And then in time, he opened that part of the puzzle for us. And now I'm so thankful that God gave me Judah. When there was a place in my life where I wouldn't have wanted Judah, truly. (laughs) I would have looked at him and looked at his diagnosis and said, we can't do that. There's no way our family could handle all that. He needs a family that could, and it's not us. And now I'm just so incredibly thankful that I have a Judah in my life, that our family does. And I can't imagine my life without him. This life you have, is it the life you thought you'd have? Is it what you you dreamed about or you planned? No. Nope. My husband and I were just talking about that yesterday. That in the process of life, I feel like you have this ideal vision for your life and how it's going to go and what you want, the storybook you know, parts of life. And then when you give your life over to God, 
and that comes in phases and layers I think but as you slowly do that he paints your future for you in a great degree and along the way I think you have to grieve what you thought you would have and embrace what you've been given what you've been gifted and I'm thankful for the life I had but it hasn't come without grieving some of those things those dreams or those visions that we have had to give up or I've had to give up just personally Sure. That's beautiful. And I admire your faith and your grace and acceptance that uh, this is what it is and we're going to embrace it and we're going to make the most of it. Your professions, your careers are centered on giving and caretaking to other people. Where do you find your strength? What fills you back up? Being in my closet. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, other than chocolate. Oh, Marisa, I don't know. I think as moms, we run on empty far too much. And it is really hard for us to find that self-care or, you know, often our needs come last. I do find my strength in God, but that's a journey and sometimes a struggle too. You know, I wrestled with God and I have over the years. And I'm thankful that I have a solid marriage We've had big bumps in the road years and years ago that are there. We're human, just like everyone else. I'm thankful that I have some really key people in my life, lifelong friends that I can pretty much unload everything to, and they love and support me anyway. I'm blessed because true friendship is hard to find in this world today. And a family that just works together, like all 10 of our kids and all 50 of our dogs, not not quite <laughs> but we kind of work together like a machine. And I'm grateful that God has blessed us with kids that are willing to take part in that. We're just a team. You're right. You got a team. You got a basketball team. A, you got a baseball <laughs> team. It's really incredible. Mindy, you, you have such a beautiful take on life. And I know that it doesn't come without some struggle. You know, we have Duchenne in our lives. You and I both do. But we know there's a lot of other stuff out there. I cared for my dad you know, when he had Parkinson's, I cared for my mom when she, as she was dying of ovarian cancer. As I always say, nobody, nobody gets a free pass. There's always, you know, everybody has something and it's all relative. And I know your faith is what really props you up and, and gets you through. What would you say to somebody who's struggling right now? That you have to stay present and where you're at. That you have to have a faith in God and you need to stay present in today. That is really hard for someone like me that's been a lifelong planner, like planned years in advance, you know. I think planners are typically very type A people. They're almost like, at least I am, is almost OCD that we have to have all the answers and all the right ways of handling every situation with every kid and like omnipresent and there's no physical way to do all of that. And so you have to just allow yourself some margin for error in parenting and just know that God is really going to fill in those gaps for you and trust that because there's just no way, whether you have one child or 10 children or special needs, quote unquote, or no special needs, there's just no way that one person can be everything to other people, let alone a whole family. So Yeah, I agree. And we put so much pressure on ourselves to be a little gentler on ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to 
continue to persevere in the direction that God has called you to. We don't want to throw in the towel because we're so overwhelmed, obviously, but also just getting through the day and say, you know what, tomorrow's another day. Apologize for the stuff where you totally messed up. Allow your kids to see you in vulnerable moments. You know, I've had to apologize thousands of times to my kids, and I, I'm probably harder on myself than anybody else. And I've had to learn to let go of that. That's so important, Mandy. And I've said this before, I don't want a crystal ball anymore. Because I do think that if we just stay right here, like sit still in this moment, that is the path forward. I am so glad that we get to share your story. I'm so grateful that you sort of took us below the surface into the, the journey and what happens behind that comment of, hey, there's the lady with 10 kids, because you are, you are the lady with 10 kids, but you are so much more than that. And I'm so grateful we get to hear your story and that I get to call you my friend. So oh, thanks for being thank here. Marisa. Yes. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real blessing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Our Way. If you enjoyed this, please share it. And be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. Production support was generously provided by PTC Therapeutics and Sarepta Therapeutics. Thank you for making this possible. If you'd like to learn more about the work that Team Joseph is doing to support the Duchenne community and to make the world a better place, please visit us at teamjoseph.org.